0: Uh, good morning Sunridge, uh, my name's Britt, if you're not familiar with who I am, I'm one of the pastors here and I just want to welcome all of you who call Sunridge home, even though we're not together again on another Lord's Day and for those of you that are just joining us for the very first time, again, yeah, here I am, I'm Britt and so thanks for uh, joining us. As always, you know, at the beginning of the service, I love to just find out where you guys are and what you're doing, so load up our chat, tell us who you're with are you at a watch party with anybody? Or are you just chilling with your kids? Uh, I don't even know, did Haley get hit with a pie this morning? She did, she did. I'm getting nods from the few of us that are in the room, so that's awesome. Thanks, parents, for getting your kids up and uh, engaged in that. And thanks, Haley, for being able to, for being willing to take one for the team. That That's so awesome. Um, you know, every industry seems to have its kind of esoteric language. We, we have our own vocabularies. I'm sure your industry has that, and the Christian faith is no different in that regard. You know, we have words that we use exclusively in our Christian world, and they just don't come up in normal conversation. Uh, you know, and holy is one of those words. I mean, when is the last time you use the word holy in your everyday conversation, except probably in some type of exclamation, like, holy cow. Because maybe we don't use it that often, or uh, maybe it's just kind of like such a religious word we can't wrap our brains around it. I've I found that there's a lot of controversies and misconceptions surrounding uh, the word holy. Like when, in regard to people, uh, we often think of someone who's holier than thou. Uh, someone who is kind of like, they're overly prudish. It's that person in your office that they just can't relate. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to stay isolated and they don't interact with other people uh, all because of like there's some religious thing in them. And, and when it comes to God, we uh, holy can conjure up images of a vengeful, uh, unapproachable God that is heavy on guilt and a list of rules that are impossible to keep. Um, none of these are accurate depictions of what the word holy means. So when we're done today, I'm hoping that we have a more accurate picture of what it means to be holy. We're in the middle of a series. This is number six of eight that we're calling God Is. And we're just looking at the character qualities of our Creator so that we might accurately reflect who He is to our world today. So we're going to talk about God's holiness today. God is holy, if you're filling in the blank on your note sheet. And, you know, we've said at the beginning of this series that what we believe about God is one of the most important things about us, so it's important for us to understand what holy means. And when it comes to God, God is holy means that He is singularly unique and far beyond us. Did you get that? I had to use some really big words there. I hope you're filling in those blanks. I'm just saying that God is off our scales. He's transcendent. And, you know, I, I picture passages like, Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 of the, that, are, that is both wondrous and terrifying at the same time of God on His throne and His angels encircling Him, proclaiming loudly so that the room shakes of His holiness. Uh, we often refer to God's holiness when we've just been blown away by something that God has done, like Hannah. Uh, who was childless, and when Samuel is born to her after his birth in 1 Samuel 2, 2, she says, there is no one holy like the Lord. And then David, a man after God's own heart, in, in uh, Psalm 24, 3, he refers to like how God is so far beyond us. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? See, we can. We should never get over being amazed by who God is. And when, when we're there, I think that we're just a little closer to what God is holy really means. Also though, when it comes to God's holiness, God's holiness demands that He disciplines sin. We can't ignore this. You know, if our, in, in our culture today, and maybe some of you are already feeling this, if you mention the word sin or holiness, you start to make people uncomfortable. And I found that people either get really quiet on you or they get really loud. They either get right in your face or they walk away. And I just wanna stop here and talk a little bit about, you know, when Christians use the word sin. Um, you know, it's, it's become a not popular word. Uh, I don't know that it was ever really popular when we think about our own sin, but you know, whether you believe in God or not, I would encourage you to just consider how even our moral laws that we adhere to today, they are rooted in the moral law of the Judeo-Christian faith, the Ten Commandments. And and today, in in every generation, we continue to kind of like culturally gerrymand our, uh, our view of sin. You know what the word gerrymandering means. It's like when a political party kind of redistributes, redraws a district so that the voting block that's in there is more advantageous to their particular party. And, you know, if you look at it geographically, it makes no sense at all. There's all these fingers that exclude different neighborhoods, and sometimes the line's right down there, just cutting it off on a street. And I thought, you know, like, it doesn't make any sense Uh, If you look at it, but it makes a lot of sense politically for different political parties. And yet, I think we kind of do the same thing with sin today. Like, there's a moral law that God has given us, and yet we gerrymand around it and redistrict what we call sin. But a holy God hates sin. A holy God will pour out his wrath and his discipline on sin because of its destructive nature. see, sin is destructive. Sin is deadly. In James 1.5, James writes that sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin causes death in the view of a holy God. And even so, from this side of things, often, isn't it true that we see that sometimes it seems like an overreach by God in reaction to sin? I mean, Moses hits a rock and God denies him access to the, whole, to the promised land. Jesus overturns tables in the temple. And Ananias and Sapphira who, under the pretense of holiness, uh, drop dead in a church service. I think where I find my equilibrium on, on these times when I can't really connect to why God feels so strongly about sin. I I just kind of put it in the category that a holy God has a holy perspective of sin. And as sinners, we will always have a flawed perspective that will be tainted by our own sin nature. So we will always kind of have, you know, like we won't be able to totally grasp the effects of sin on us and we don't we don't dis- we don't really fully grasp the destructive nature of sin in our lives today I think of it this way you know you think about if you're a parent you know you've had that time where your child is about to run into the street and probably as they were growing up you warned them about it you taught them about not going into the street and yet if you see them going near the edge of that street you will quickly intervene You might even raise your voice. And if you see that they're about to run into the street and there's immediate danger because a car is coming down the street, you will run over to them. You won't just raise your voice. You'll grab them by the arm. You might even have some strong words for them. You might even spank them. Why do you do that? Why do you do it? Well, first of all, you do it because you see the great danger in that next step. Do you think that they see it? Of course not. You also do it because you love them so much. Do they get it? No. When will they get it? They will get it when they're parents, right? When will we get the destructiveness of sin? We will get it when we stand in God's presence and we're no longer, our view of God is no longer obscured but we see him as he is in his full character. You see, when God disciplines sin, it's a demonstration of his love. That's what the writer in Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. So in other words, parents discipline their children and we're not always the best at that. We do the best that we can. But God disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may share in his holiness. See, God brings discipline in our lives because one, he sees the great destructive nature of sin and two, because he loves us and he wants us to share in his holy character. But it's no fun, is it? In verse 11, the writer goes on, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Of course it is. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So haven't you looked back in the past that the consequences of sin, whether they were natural or God-induced or societal, haven't you looked back at at a certain time and said, you know, I can see how that was good for me. And God's discipline comes from his holy love. Now, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that God wants to, to shape us into becoming holy, So then, as His image bearers, we are called to be holy. There's God's holiness, but because He is holy, we're called to follow suit, to reflect that part of His nature. The Apostle Peter quotes uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy in chapter 1, verse 15 of his first letter. He says, just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I don't know about you, but that seems like a complete impossibility for me. And it would be, except for the fact that our holy standing isn't dependent upon us. And what I'm going to point out about this passage is what I would call the key to this passage. So if you're following along in the chat, would you just put in there the key because I'm about to give it to you that we're to be holy as he is holy. But how is that even possible? This verse 15 is preceded by verse 13, where Peter says that we're to set our hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when Christ is revealed to me, I set my hope fully on his grace And it's then, in verse 14, as obedient children that we do not conform to the evil desires that we had when we lived in ignorance. And here is the verse again. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. You see, we are made holy by Jesus. Paul writes this in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's through Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we become holy. This is a uniquely Christian message in that our relationship with God requires holiness, but it is not possible for us to be that holy. And so, our righteousness comes from what Jesus did on the cross for us when he paid for our sins. It's like in your shirt right now or your clothing, you have labels and it says, this is made such and such. This shirt is a quicksilver shirt. It says quicksilver on it. A lot of your labels may say made somewhere. You have a label on you. Your label says made holy by Jesus. Not only are we to be holy as he is holy, but we are holy because we've been made holy by him. We've been given a new identity. To me, it's like when you first become a parent, that first child. It changes you. It's not like after your baby is born, they say to you, okay, from now on, everything has to change for you. This event has to change you, and you fight against that. It's like you want to be different. You have a new identity. Before, you were just you. I was just Brit. But when I walked out of that hospital, after our first daughter was born, April, I had a new identity. I was a dad, and I wanted to live up to that. So then, being holy is living out the new identity that God has given us through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now the literal meaning of holy is to cut or separate. So the idea of holiness is really to like put apart. And in the Bible there are two important truths when it comes to this idea of holiness. And again, if you're, if you're following in the chat, give me a shout out and put these two words, from and two, because they are the key to understanding what it means to be par- set apart for holiness. To be holy is to be separated from sin. And as God's image bearers, we're to separate ourselves from sin. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 5.3, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. And you know, if you read on in this letter, Paul gives a sin sampler list. It's not exclusive, but there's a list of sins that are, according to Paul, we are not to even have a hint of in our lives because because we are holy and we're to be separate from sin. Now, it's not enough here, Paul isn't just saying that we should simply be moral, that holiness is only about our morality. And this is important. This is important for every Christian to grasp because for many, many Christians today, we look at holiness simply as the exclusion of some past behaviors. And my Christian faith really comes down to the fact that I no longer participate in these behaviors. And that's good, but that is not the whole thing. That's not the whole enchilada. For many Christians today, we measure our spirituality by the things that we no longer do. We say, I'm a good person now. And what we mean is we have the absence. We no longer have these immoral behaviors. But here's the thing, and I'm going to put this up on the screen. Think about this. You can't be holy and not be moral. It's required. To be holy, you have to be moral. But you can be moral but not be holy. Did you catch that? You see, it's possible to be moral for a lot of reasons. And I read something that Tim Keller said about this this week. You see, you can be moral out of a sense of duty. And so your morality is really rooted in your own performance. You're trying to live up to some standard. You can be moral because it makes you feel good about yourself. And this is where some people end up being kind of holier than thou. You can be moral because it fulfills a family expectation. And so your morality is really rooted in just a lot of the traditions that were handed down to you. It just is who takes out the garbage and which way to squeeze the the toothpaste. You can be holy just because you're pragmatic, because honesty is the best policy. And you can be holy in business because it is a good business practice. You'll gain a good reputation. But in every case, you are being moral in this case, for selfish reasons. And holiness is more than moral behavior. There's something more to bearing God's image here, and that's why in the beginning I I noted that there's a separation from, and then there's a separation to. In Leviticus, um, the writer says in Leviticus 26, written to God's people of the Old Testament, he says, you are to be holy to me Because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from the nations. Why? To be my own. To be my own. You see, to be separated, to be holy, is to be separated from sin. But to be holy is also to be separated to God. And in Scripture, we see many things that are called holy, Because not just because they were separated from common usage, but they were also dedicated to God with a special purpose. And in Leviticus and in other parts of the law, we see uh, the Bible talk about a holy city, a holy temple, a holy place, and a most holy place. There were holy priests and holy Sabbaths and holy water, a holy covenant, holy angels, and a holy law. And so Leviticus and other places in the law aren't just talking about holy people, it's talking about holy things. So holiness then can't just mean morality because what does a moral table look like? What does a moral structure look like or an immoral one for that matter? What is it that makes the table holy or the tabernacle holy, a place holy? In the Old Testament, it was because it belonged to God. What makes you holy? What makes me holy? It's the fact that we belong to God. Put that in your chat right now. I belong to God. I love what God says through his prophet Isaiah about his people. In Isaiah 49, 16, he says, see, I've written your name on my hand. This is a reference that The image here is that God has placed the name of the children of Israel on his hand as a tattoo. The implications then of bearing God's holiness is not just that we have moral behaviors, but we have dignity and purpose because we belong to him. So going back to the from and to, we are set apart from sin and we are set apart to God. We don't belong to that any longer because we belong to this and you know when you look at holiness through that perspective it takes on a whole new light and the motivation to live a holy life is exactly the opposite from what we typically think in Colossians 3.12 something that we've already looked at as we were going through Colossians uh, Paul writes therefore as God's chosen people Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on. You know, in this part of Paul's letter, he's, he's saying there's some behaviors that should not be a part of your life anymore. And then there's some qualities and characteristics and behaviors that should be a, that should be a part of your life today. But why? It is really based on in our holiness. And I want you to see that what Paul is writing here, what he's mandating upon those of us who call ourselves believers, this different lifestyle is based in holiness. And we have exactly the opposite idea of holiness. When we think of it, we think, well, you're scum. You're, you, can't, you can never reach the holiness of God. That He doesn't, he doesn't like you. That you're not worthy in some way. And so you must... Embrace these behaviors so that you can earn kind of a holiness badge with God and with others. But that's not what Paul says. He says that these behaviors are, should be a part of our life, not because we need to earn them, not because we need to hit a level of performance in order to gain God's acceptance. He says, these are things that you should do because you're chosen. And because you are dearly loved by God, you belong to Him. We're not just set apart from God. We are set apart to Him. So in that way, you're not just an ordinary instrument to God. It says something about how He feels about you, about me, about your neighbor. You belong to Him. You are his special instrument set apart for his use. So then, bearing the image of his holiness as set apart to him gives us an entirely new perspective on how we live in the most fundamental ways. Let me give you a few examples. Let's think about work. You know, in this same letter, later in, the chapter, in chapter 3, Paul writes about work. He says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And you notice here that Paul doesn't say, be moral at your job. That's assumed as a believer. But he emphasizes here that you are set apart to God, that you belong to him in your work. See, if you're just working for your boss, then you'll work hard when your boss is around and not when you they're not around. You only do what your boss says in order to gain a good impression from your boss. And if you work solely for yourself, then you'll only do what's necessary for you to get that next promotion or to get a raise. But if you're working for the Lord, as Paul says here, that whatever you do, you do it as unto him because you belong to him, then your main motivation in going to work and what you do in your career, your vocation as a mom, as a dad, in the community service that you do, you're doing it as unto the Lord. And when you do that, you're working an entirely different atmosphere. You're working with the consciousness that God, you're doing this because you're an instrument of His grace in the world. And He's using you in that place. Let me give you another example. Think about your marriage or a significant relationship that you have right now. If, if you're faithful in your marriage only when they're watching, then you're only doing so to stay on their good side and to avoid the consequences, to avoid the consequences of infidelity. And if in your marriage you you treat each other respectfully or in a certain way because you want them to do it back to you then you're really just doing it for a selfish reason it's quid pro quo right and that kind of a marriage has a scorecard with it it has a ledger that keeps track of who's ahead in the brownie points but what if you love each other as paul wrote as christ loved the church what if you submitted yourself to one another because you were submitting yourself to God in that relationship as unto the Lord. Wouldn't that totally change your perspective of your relationship? See, Jesus gave us a whole new view of what holiness means. Holiness is not to build a fortress around myself, but it's to see me as belonging to God and as an instrument in his hand. So then, of course, the closer we are to Jesus, the further we will be from sin. But it's also true that the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we will be to sinners because we are an instrument of God's grace in the world today. That is what it means to reflect the holiness of God. Now I'm going to ask the band to come up now and, you know, it's, I just want to go full circle. It's like we often think of a holy person as someone who, who's able to keep all the rules. But don't you see, as you look through Scripture, the theme of being both separated from sin and separated to God, that holiness is much more than adherence to a set of rules. It's not just fire and brimstone. Holiness is not just so much about my capacity to adhere to these rules so that I feel better about my relationship with God or I feel better in my relationship with others or at least in comparison to others. Holiness is about who I belong to. Holiness is an attitude that says, I belong to God. I belong to him. So how today in the relationships that I'm in, in the community that I work in or I live in, in my office space, on Zoom right now, wherever it might be, how do I reflect God because I belong to Him? How do I do that to demonstrate that I belong to Him? That's holiness. Let's pray.